0: This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Today we have as our guest Parker Malloy. She's a former writer at Media Matters for a, a number of years. and She's focused heavily on the methodologies of right-wing media and how they work and why they work. And so we've got a lot of, to talk about, needless to say. Hello. First thing on our agenda is to sort of look at the bigger picture and the historical sense. How did we get here? You you had mentioned in an article you wrote recently, Parker is writing now at readthepresentage.com. So be sure to click over to that. But you'd mentioned in an article you wrote there, Parker, that you you were a big fan of Neil Postman and his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Can you explain that book and who Neil Postman was?
1: Sure, sure. So... I, I first first I first read that book in um, in college I think or around college I wasn't taking a class for it I was just kind of bored and nerdy and uh, decided to to do that um, but the the basic idea behind this book is that the way that we consume uh, the way that we consume news is intertwined with um the, with with entertainment these days, and I think that cable news has kind of uh, ca- cable news has has taken that to the extreme, to where everything is entertainment. It's people yelling at each other. It's what's the what's the entertainment value of a news story over what is the um, informational value of a news story? And his argument was was kind of this. Um, it was published in in uh, in yeah. Yeah, so it was sorry. Eighties <laughs> or nineties, right? Yeah, it was. It was um, published back in. I was trying to find nineteen eighty five. So wow. it, it was there before. Bef- this was before Fox News. This was like what was it right after CNN came into existence. So it really didn't cover the cable news era, and definitely not the social media era because that obviously did not exist yet. Um, but his his arguments were that what stories make it on the air. Um, because of the structure of media generally will always tend to go towards what people want to see and not necessarily what people need to see or need to hear. And I think that that's something that has kind of with with cable news and with, you know, um, the Internet and social media, I think that that's something that's only gotten worse with time
0: yeah well and a lot of it is endemic to the for-profit model of oh yeah so um but let's talk about though what you mean when you say what they want to see versus what they ought to see
1: yeah so so with with that i mean i'm trying to think of an example like if okay so here's something that we see we see constantly in in um coverage of politics. You see, you see horse race coverage, you see coverage where it is, um, you know, talking about, you know, uh, oh, a candidate said something wrong on the campaign trail or, oh, uh, you know, Donald Trump called someone a name like that would be the, the focus. And that's what people want to see because it's entertaining. It's people yelling at each other. It's it's emotional. It makes you feel things. Um, But like tax policy, no, um so we don't get policy discussions on on tv we don't get those important um we don't get those important talks that we, we probably need to hear more of instead we get this infotainment kind of setup where you you get attention any way you can and i think that that's something that you know we see it. you see it on youtube and social media all the time where it's the The people who say the reasonable things, the people who say, um, you know, who who talk about things in in realistic terms tend to kind of get buried. But people who say the most outlandish things end up becoming hugely popular. And with that popularity comes money. So you've, you've got all of the wrong incentives set up. And that's just played out everywhere. You've seen it in media. You've seen it move over to, you know, the tech world, you see it in books. It's, it's just, it's the way things are and the way things, the the way they have been for a long time. And
0: it's just, yeah. And, and, you know, in in regards to books, you know, we've been seeing that recently with now that Trump's been out of office, you know, for uh, over half a year now, um, you've seen journalists who were sitting on you know, huge, huge stories. And they're all coming out with books. Check out my book. Check out my book. You know, and and these are things that actually might have mattered to the public significantly uh, when they were fresh. So like, you know, just this week, we've got a a story coming out that's come out from some Washington Post reporters books, where they have a book where they've said that they knew that inside the Pentagon, the joint chiefs of staff were concerned that Donald Trump was going to try to do a coup to stay in office and that he was going to invoke the insurrection act against black lives matter or against uh, antifa and that's you know and they had to take steps to, to uh, go to, to to block that that wouldn't that have been nice to come out during the
1: second impeachment that would have that, that would have been, been, been good to know for sure yeah um, and and, yeah. and that's that's what so that's what's so frustrating it's that profit model. It's, oh, I've got this juicy bit of information. Should I I report it out and put it in the paper? Or should I, you know, maybe sit on it for a few months and, you know, hold off until I'm ready to release my book? I mean, those are those, I can see how they could be difficult questions. But at a certain point, there's this, need to you know what the public needs to know what the public has a right to know for our own good and that's and when that, they have the right yeah exactly and, and and we saw this happen with uh bob woodward's book too where there's there's that um, there's that moment early on where trump talks about how bad the virus is is he talks about how he he thought it was, you know, airborne, and that was when everyone was still wiping down the groceries, and if he had information that it, was, that it was airborne that far back, that's something we should have known back then because we were all protecting ourselves in the, the wrong way. We were protecting ourselves from, from a virus that transfers from surface to surface when that doesn't seem to have been the case as time goes on. it's scarier when it's, when it's an airborne virus, obviously it's because it's just everywhere. There's nothing you can do to stop it.
0: Yeah. Well, and also I think if it had early on come out, you know, that, that Trump knew it was more serious than he was publicly disclosing at that time, you know, I think it would have set a a pattern for Republicans, you know, that they would have been more concerned about it because their guy would have given them permission to be concerned about it. Yeah, you know, and, and and we're seeing that same thing with vaccines. Like, you know, now we're at the point because Trump hasn't really advocated much for it. Now, if he were to go and do so, it probably wouldn't make that much difference.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's t- it's too late at this point for him for him to make that difference. Trump Trump could set things in motion. He could get people to care about anything if if he starts starts a message tells people, you know, tells his side uh, to, to kind of, you know, to focus on this, it'll, they will focus, they will care. They'll care so much. There's still people talking about that, that uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, drug that he was so hyped up about. And which he himself never used. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, It was, oh, it's the greatest thing on earth. I'm not going to use it, you know, (laughs) and it's, and it, it, that's what's so frustrating. He's massively influential, but he almost never uses that influence in in the name of the public good. And I think that the pandemic is one of those instances where if he could have put aside the fact that he does seem to view the country as uh, his supporters and the people who don't support him, those as two separate sort of, you know factions yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly to basically two different nations you know it's had he not taken that approach to the virus i think he would have you know a it would have been handled way better and b he would have won re-election that is the that that's the thing that blows my mind it was his mm. election to lose he could have come out and you know done basically the bare minimum and it would have been great for him. He would have yeah. won re-election, but instead it was, oh, well, it's the blue states that have the virus now. You know, that's where they, oh, it started in, in New York and California and Washington and Oregon. You know, these are, oh, those this are blue states. Problem. That's their fault. Yeah. As, as if the virus, viruses don't spread from state to state. We don't, we don't have giant walls at the edge of states. People aren't quarantined in their states. Yeah. And he, he also tried to make it about immigration when it was pretty clear that the virus had been here for, for a while. And he was yeah. he was trying to just use, you know, the same old playbook, the same old talking points when. Well, when and Italy, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And he was focusing on China.
0: But as yeah, it happened, exactly. the New York uh, infection, the massive infection they had there came from Italy. It <laughs> yeah. didn't come from China. Well, indirectly it did but yeah directly it came from Italy so if you're yeah. going to close borders then you should have done it for everybody
1: and and it be, it it became that sort of uh, it it just became another another thing where his history of lying and misleading people really hurt you know when 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 he when he says something, you do have half the, more than half the country who here's something he says and goes well he's constantly lying <laughs> so can we trust him on this and that was something that that did come up as as time went on there there were doubts about about the vaccine when when Trump was very very clearly trying to get something out before the election because he thought that's how he would win which maybe he might he might have but then you you read these stories about how he how he has been putting putting his uh you know loyalists into into positions of power within the cdc there was an anti vaxxer who uh who was working as like one of the heads of communications at the or the spokesperson for for the cdc it's like how do you have how how do you have that the numbers could we trust them could we not that was that was one of those questions where it was a time where we needed leadership, and we needed, you know, media that didn't treat everything like, um, like like a horse race. I mean, or, or really early... yeah, well, exactly. And and earlier this week, I was, um, I, I put out a podcast on my site. I I interviewed uh, Joe Walsh, who was a Tea Party uh, Republican elected to Congress in twenty ten, um, who went from supporting Trump to. Not supporting Trump. He, he he ran against Trump in the Republican primary, whatever whatever that really was in, for the 2020 election, which was kind of um, yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was kind of a, a lost cause, I think from the start. and I think he knew that, but talking to him, it, it was just it, one thing that he and I kind of agreed on, because I'm, we, we disagree on policy, but we agreed that one of the issues is the way that we talk about things that politicians say in media. And I brought up the example of the, this time that Obama went to, this was in 2008, Obama went to, um, like he was talking about rural Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. And he was asked a question about how he could, he could reach these rural white voters who don't trust the government, and he was a first-term senator. And so he gives this speech where he's talking about how they've been failed by Republicans, they've been failed by Democrats, and it's time to give them reason to believe in government again, give them reason to to hope that things could be better, or at least more competent, or at least care about these people. And it was a good answer and it was full of empathy and all of that. But then he got to a point where he was trying to say that he understood why people would um, be distrustful because they have no reason to trust the government. And he said, they, you know, that's when he, he made the infamous, you know, it's understandable that they then cling to guns and religion and, and yeah and and so that yeah. became the entire statement it's oh obama talks about rural pennsylvania as as a bunch of uh, idiots who who don't know any better and they cling to their guns and that became the whole story it was just a soundbite but what mm-hmm. he said made was true. sense yeah exactly <laughs> but we focused everyone focused only on the wrong thing and the same thing happened in 2012 when he was talking about the importance of infrastructure in funding schools and stuff like that. And he said, uh, you know, basically you didn't, you, people didn't make it where they are on their own. We all help each other get there. And suddenly it became, Oh, Obama said I didn't make, build my business. And it's like, that's, that's not what he said, but I, I get it. I get that these things can be useful in a political context uh, taking taking little snippets of audio and focusing on them, and I don't blame candidates when they do that. I don't blame political parties when they do that because that's good politics for them. That makes total sense. It frustrates me to no end when news outlets do this, when media does this. That that is just that's what's disappointing. When when Hillary Clinton said. Um, She was giving a speech, she she talked about how maybe half of Trump's supporters, yeah, maybe half of Trump's supporters are sexist, racist, homophobic, whatever, and she goes, you know, lists those off, and then the second half of what she said, but the other half is they're genuinely good people, they are people who we we you can't just write them off because they support Trump. You can't just uh do that. They're good people and they need to be heard. And it was very similar to me to what to that Obama thing that I just mentioned about about mm-hmm. uh Pennsylvania, because the, the headline that came out of that was Hillary Clinton calls Trump supporters deplorables, and, and we all kind of saw how that played out, where mm-hmm. yeah, she said that and
0: These other things. too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you could have framed that either way, but the focus was, she said that half of these people are bad and you saw them try to bring this up in the, um, you saw Trump's campaign, try to bring this up over and over and over on like Fox. They, they did where Biden said something like basically like, you know, maybe 10% of people aren't good or maybe 15% of people aren't good. But, Most people are good. And that was his his general point that most people are good, mean, well, and suddenly it was Biden thinks that Trump supporters are evil. And it's like, no, first off, he said like 10% of people, can we all agree that maybe 10% of the population are, are bad people? Probably. I mean, and he didn't even specify it, 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 party. It, yeah, he didn't specify party. He didn't specify anything. But it said every. It came out and it, like that, and it be, it became this political attack. And and same thing when he was speaking to um, when he was holding his rallies, and Trump, there would be you know a handful, five or six Trump supporters would show up with like their own little PA system, and they would try to drown him out, and he would. I forgot what he called them. He was, you know, like those, oh, those dopes or something like that, or, you know, ignore them. We won't let them, you know, drown us out, something, something. And that became Biden calls Trump supporters dopes or whatever he said. And it's just, we don't learn anything. We don't learn anything from these things. I, going into the, going into the election, as someone who watches way too much, way too much, uh, you know, news. I don't know what Trump was really running on because he didn't have an issues page on his website. His his issues page was list of accomplishments, which I get that that's kind of, when you're running for reelection, it's kind of, I will continue doing the things I've been doing. But why wasn't that brought up more? We scrutinize all of these these plans when they're put out by, you know, uh, by you know Democrats. You have people digging through, you know, the Green New Deal or what have you, and that's that's fine. That's all fine, fine and good. But when it come came to the, Trump, it was mostly. Well, we don't really expect anything out of him, so we're not going to really focus too much. I mean, his his uh, plan to eliminate <laughs> to eliminate the debt, the entire national debt, um, going into the 2016 election, was based on a fundamental misunderstanding of the economy. It was based on his his inability to understand the difference between um, budget deficits and trade deficits. Those are completely different. And when when he would say things like, yeah, we just have to get rid of this tra- this trade deficit, and that will suddenly will be above water. We don't need to raise taxes on any anyone. We don't have to cut services. We can just do this. That doesn't make sense. But he was kind of given a pass on it. And I think it's out of this sense of, well, we have to make it seem like both candidates are equal going into this um, you know, it's it's a battle of two equally valid ideas and no one is wrong for supporting one or the other when really it should have just been Trump's policies don't make sense. He he hasn't put much out there. And yeah. whether you agree or disagree with the policies that Biden or Clinton or Obama have or had, they were policies. They were they were actual at least they have some. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is, that is such an issue. They, that right now there was, there was a New York times article that recently came out that was uh, about how boring Biden is. Um, and he, com- it, it compared him to, to Trump in terms of someone who is not boring, but the reason that Biden is boring, this article said, was that he was talking about policy. He was trying to explain how his his plans would work. And Obama was good about doing that where he would um where where he would go on these like long long talks about policy and he would explain it in great detail to the point where he would, you know, it was clear he knew what he was what what the policies were that he was defending. But it was focused on policy so people kind of tuned out. And that kind of comes back to this Neil Postman thing, where you've got people who, people who are making editorial decisions, see policy. They see people thinking that's boring, and they tune out. And they go, "Okay, we're not going to cover that. We're not going to cover it that way. We're gonna we're gonna focus on what people want to see. We want to see them uh, having arguments. We want to see them." Calling people names and stuff like that, and it it happens year after year, election after election, and just today I I, I tweeted a question to to a CNN re- reporter asking what he's learned from the Trump Trump era and what he would do differently if and when Trump runs again, and I I didn't get a tweet back, which is fine, but at the same time these are questions that need to be examined and explored. And the the question of what the goal of media is, is it to generate profit? Is it to inform the public? Is it a little of both? Because it's not clear. And as long as it's not clear, it's it kind of clearly is the profit.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and a lot of it is also that, you know, the the reporters themselves are not, they don't know about a lot about policy themselves. And so they, when people start talking about it, well, you know, their eyes glaze over and they don't want to hear about it. And so, you know, I think that's a huge, a huge aspect of things because they're in it for the gossip. Like that's what they do. Um, And, you know, they also have to treat these uncredible right-wing blowhards as credible and not tell the truth about them because they're sources. You know, um, recently it came out that Tucker Carlson is a perpetual leaker about Fox News and and is constantly dishing about Fox News and also Donald Trump. And by the way, and I can tell you also that Newsmax TV, which is even crazier than Fox as a, as A lot of people who are watching this know uh, Christopher Ruddy, who is the CEO of that, he also does the same thing with Donald Trump. And that's why you are not seeing Newsmax covered in the critical way that it should be uh, as as a disinformation scam network. I mean, Newsmax, and I know as somebody who used to work in conservative media, they operate, you know, hundreds of fake newsletters. Um, That are basically scams like they're no different than the spam email you get and delete in anger from your inbox uh, that they're telling people we can cure cancer. If you have enough cinnamon in your life or, you know, and and, and where are the the CNN stories or the New York Times or Washington Post? Where are the stories about Newsmax doing those things? They don't exist. They don't exist.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and that's that. such a problem. That that is it, that is this the DC media bubble is kind of it's one of those things that I think that people on you know, no matter their political party, there are a lot of people who, who just cannot stand the DC media bubble. There are a lot of people who work in media who cannot stand that and who who see this like culture of oh we're all going to go to these dinner parties and we're going to hang out at 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 uh, a politician's house or at a reporter's house and it's just kind of seems so insincere these are serious things being talked about if you if journalists want to cover something that has no tangible effect on the world they should cover something that is Fun for them, entertaining, and something that we should know. Like, let's say sports. I mean, sports do have an, an effect on the world, but at the same time, they're not as consequential as politics. Politics is massively consequential. Yeah, or go, go cover a celebrity gossip. Yeah, like if 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 you're you know a, a sports reporter and you you hang out with someone who works for an organization and your whole thing is just writing about like the scores, that's fine. But if you're covering the White House and you're at these, like, uh, Sarah Sanders going away party, which some members of the White House press corps, like, threw for her, that's an issue. That's not the kind of relationship that I think that people working at media should have to people in positions of massive influential power. And you see that happen every year with the White House Correspondents Dinner. It's too chummy. It should never come back. It went away under Trump because of a uh, in twenty twenty because of the virus. But it should never come back. <laughs> I yeah, been saying that weird.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was no. It served no purpose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, and, and then another thing that was interesting to me also was that you know, as somebody who came out of fundamentalist religion myself, you know, I was raised in fundamentalist Mormonism and, you know, so I know how it works. I can see the, I can hear the dog whistle that most people who have never been religious or, you know, had a more regular, normal religious experience that they can't see it. And uh, so many of the people in the Trump administration, the former administration, they are crazy. Like, and I'm going to put a tweet on the screen um, that Liz Harrington, who, who is uh, Donald Trump's spokeswoman, um, she literally was quoting a Bible uh, curse against people. And here's what she said. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And then she has the scriptural citation, of course. But, like, this is crazy shit. Like, this is the sort of thing that ISIS used to put on Twitter. Like, you know, quoting stuff in the Quran, saying, oh, you know, the infidels are going to be you know, burned alive and God's wrath is against them. Like, so that's who works for Donald Trump. She worked in the administration for four years. And, you know, you look at then you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, former press secretaries, you know, Kaylee McEnany. She literally, her book, she has a book coming out now in which the title of the book is for such a time as this. And it comes from the myth of Job in the Bible where, and by, and by the way, you know, most Christians do not believe in the myth of Job, except for uh, fundamentalist Christians. Um, they believe it's a story. But in, in, because, in, anyway, and in, in the, uh, I'm sorry, in, it's in the, uh, the myth of Esther. And it literally says that Esther, the queen who saved all the Jews from the imaginary extinction that never happened, uh, maybe she was raised up for such a time as this. And so basically Kaylee McEnany is saying, God wanted me to be the White House press secretary and to lie constantly for Him because I am His servant, and whatever I do is God's will. Like, where are the stories about that? <laughs>
1: it's, it's it's really worrying, and and you you know that, and any time a story does try to touch on this, you when um, Amy Coney Barrett was being uh, was nominated to the Supreme Court, there was this immediate rush to outrage in right-wing media about oh well Democrats are gonna are gonna use her religion against her how dare they and and that was kind of this this narrative that that just popped up before any Democrat before any pundit on the left really had anything to say at all and it was this the only thing that was out there were the the discussions that were had when she was nominated to a lower court. But it became this thing where it's you cannot ask about someone's religion. You cannot talk about someone's religion. Their views are uh, you, you should not be able to uh, question it's these. And it's, like, it's, yeah. it's like if, if someone's going to be on the Supreme Court, actually, yeah, you should be able to, you know, you should know where someone stands on various issues because it's, because it's literally part of their job. Yeah, they, they, it's <laughs> um, not just their personal beliefs. It's it's it becomes. Okay, well, how is that going to fit into our world? Because it's it's a position of immense power, and uh, that's what always bugs me. Because there's such a double standard when it comes to, um, you know, oh, you can't criticize the the religion of of you know of of anyone, and that's that's that, and that applies to Christians who are Republicans when they're democrats suddenly it's oh joe biden's not a real catholic he shouldn't be allowed to have communion you know these these sorts of things Mm -hmm. which i was raised catholic um i'm not currently catholic (laughs) but you know it's like it's it's one of those things where it's the hypocrisy bothers me so much because it's so blatant but it doesn't matter you can't shame people who do this into better behavior what you can do is you can hope that the the news outlets that that fall for this stuff that that pick up these stories of oh uh amy coney barrett's being attacked because she's because she's catholic or because she's christian um but but when it's someone questioning uh ilhan or omar or uh Uh, you know, Keith Ellison, or, you know, any, any, you know, Muslim who's been elected to office, these questions come out where it's just, oh, well, are you going to try to, you know, are you going to try to put your religion on us? Okay, well, if that is wrong, why, why is that kind of the whole thing that is happening on the right, right now? And and with, with Liz Harrington, I think it's worth noting that she's not just someone who worked for Donald Trump. And she's not just that she, she for a long time would, would pop up on Fox News, Newsmax, One American News. Um, but also during the election last year, she was the spokesperson for the Republican National Committee. She That was that was their voice. She was out there. Doing that—that's the whole. That's a lot of the party. I mean, that's the—that's considered mainstream for them. And after the election, I wrote a story when I was at Media Matters about how a fake, a fake story on a website that was set up to look like a real news site from Wisconsin, but was one of those sites that just sort of pop popped up. There are thousands of them where they have like a local name that makes it sound sound like it's a legitimate site. Uh, but but it's it's not. And it said, oh, there these ballots don't match up and the, the count doesn't doesn't match and Biden's numbers were inflated. There's clearly fraud blah blah blah. And it was it was just fake. It wasn't based on anything. I immediately looked it up and found the actual numbers They you know, and they were not what that website said. And Liz Harrington was one of the people who would take that, who took that and just ran with it and shared it on social media. And it, it went pretty wildly viral for, for a couple of days there. And that is just the lack of ethics and the lack of morals that goes into that, that goes into sharing False information on purpose, and then hiding behind, uh, you know, hiding re- behind Bible verses. Marco Rubio does that a lot as well, and it's it's just it's such a cheap shot because it's it's a it's a get out of jail free card for for criticism.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, so how how is it? I, I completely agree, but so how is it? that you got interested in all this stuff. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and why you're interested in media.
1: So it's, so when I, when I was growing up, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have cable. That was, that was a big thing that was, that was frustrating to me. Uh, All, all, a lot of my friends had cable. I did not have cable and I couldn't watch Nickelodeon like all the other kids. Um, So I'd watch the news every single day. And my parents would, would come downstairs and I would be able to kind of just recite back to them everything that happened the previous day. Because I would be like, oh yeah, the Cubs won four to nothing and socks are the socks are on a losing streak and the and traffic to the city is, you know, and my, my parents didn't work in the city, but I would be like, uh there's traffic's really backed up and this there was a murder and all of this. And they my parents had to be like, you need to stay in bed until a certain time. I think it was 7 a.m. Because I would pop up at 5 and I would go downstairs and watch the news. And I would watch NBC and then I would watch I would watch the local Fox broadcast. I would watch the um, the ABC broadcast. And that was just kind of my obsession. I, we eventually got, uh, we didn't get cable, but we got uh, satellite TV. We got direct TV and after that, it was still kind of the same. It was just built into who I was. I, I would, you know, I, I really was just interested in in that. I didn't watch cartoons. I didn't watch the, um, you know, the the stuff that other other people my age were watching. I would I would just watch the news. I would watch the Weather Channel. I would watch all of these uh, all of these things that probably are better suited for someone, you know someone in their like 60s than someone who was like eight. (laughs) So, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of how that started. And then, then I went, you know, went through, went through high school to, was part of like the AV club in school and uh, then went, went on to college and just was always interested in this and would always write about it. And that kind of, you know, it just eventually worked out to where, I was doing just kind of a little blog and places, you know. I, I was like, oh, I should, I should submit my article to articles to some places, and so places that would post things for free, Huffington Post, for instance, um, Thought Catalog, those those sorts of places would be like, yeah, sure, we'll we'll put your thing up there. And then I just kind of it's kind of built on that, and um, you know, I got to so now when up.
0: when did that start? When did uh, you start doing
1: that? Yeah, yeah, my the first the first pieces that i had that went on you know a, anywhere that wasn't a blog would probably like 2013 but before that it was you know i i had a, a a like various personal blogs and stuff that went back to 2002 2003 sort sort of things and uh yeah so no i don't i don't have like a degree in journalism which maybe that helps Maybe it hurts. I don't know, um, because I, I I don't tend to see things in that same sort of formulaic way that that a lot of journalists do, and some make it work. But um, I just I, I think I think it's just such a fundamentally broken system that we have right now in media. Where now that we have so many so many choices, so many decisions to make, so many options, you can find whatever you can find news that matches your your existing beliefs, um, which is, which is good in some senses, but not good in others. You know, it's one thing to, uh, it, it's it's one thing to see something and be able to learn more about it. And it matches your interests because the YouTube algorithm gets you. And it's another thing when, okay, well, I don't like such and such politician, so I'm going to watch these stories that tell me that politician is bad and that tell me everything I want to know that is, that is good about that politician and will you know air lies about the other one and will make me feel better about who I am and what I stand for and that sort of stuff. And that, I think, is just fundamentally toxic I, because that is not how we should learn things. We should not learn things because they make us feel good. We should not learn things because they're entertaining to us. We should we should learn things about the world because it's important to know what's going on around us. And I think that the, the fragmentation of media has led to this world where let, led to this world where we are living in different realities. We are not working from the same set of basic facts. And that's what you need if you're going to work together on anything and that's that's how how we end up in this situation where you have a pretty decent chunk of the country that just won't get vaccinated from this deadly disease and it seems to be purely political there's there's no real reason not to get vaccinated if uh if if you're able to and that is it's just become a political Talking point, and I think that that was something that going into the election, there was a lot of fear that, oh well, if if uh, if if Trump wins the election, that Democrats won't get vaccinated. And I, I don't think that was quite the case; that that polling didn't match up. But it kind of speaks to that sense of negative partisanship, where it's well, whatever they're doing, I'm doing the opposite. And you, some people have been very open about that. There have been some uh, some people have written uh, blog posts on right-wing sites saying i'm not getting vaccinated because it makes the libs mad and it's like that's that's a terrible reason not to get vaccinated yeah
0: (laughs) it is well and you know just a lot of the reason though that there are these different worlds as people often say it is because of fundamentalist religion right yeah that's because i mean if you look at the so for, for instance within um The very beginning of the American conservative tradition. Um, William F. Buckley's first book that nowadays nobody remembers it at all. It's interesting for National Review, but his first book was called God and Man at Yale. And it was literally just hundreds of pages of him telling on various professors because they didn't believe in the resurrection or they thought Jesus was not divine or they didn't think he existed. Um, and Buckley was basically saying, look, all you people who are alumni of Yale and are good Christians like me, why do you give your money to these people? To, you know, the university must fire them. Um, and so like, that's how all of this stuff got started. Um, and which is so amazing that you hear people on the right and, you know, this bizarre, centrist, strange, you know, uh, stuff that people like Sam Harris are in now, um, that they're claiming that there's this massive left-wing cancel culture. But cancel culture began with conservatives. They started all of this by attacking moderate Republicans, by attacking atheists, by attacking you know, uh, LGBT people and by, you know, being in favor of segregation, like the early conservatives were all in favor of segregation for the most part.
1: Yeah. And that, and that I think is, it's important to, it's important for people on on the outside to kind of, to, to see this, to see through a lot of the hypocritical arguments, because that's, that's really what it is there because there will be a person who will say, um, well, here's here's an example. The other day on CNN, um, someone was making the argument, James Carville, James Carville was making the argument that uh, Democrats need to need to ignore people who are worried about pronouns and stuff like that and stop canceling people for for using the wrong pronouns and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's just not really a thing that happens. I mean- there would be people who say i'm not going to vote for someone who is just openly and unapologetically transphobic that's one thing but i don't think anyone's ever been like you once misgendered a person you can never run for office or you should ne- you should lose your job like that that's not not kind of how that how that works and when you look at lists of lists of banned books or attempted to books that have been they've tried to ban it it comes down to uh you know most most of them are uh on on the list because it's oh this had lgbt people in it or oh this this uh has you know it's how like harry potter ends up on those lists where it's just like well the wizards and that's somehow satanic i don't know it's it's just so hypocritical and now you have in full force you have networks like like, um, like Fox or Newsmax or OAN, that will spend one segment yelling about cancel culture, and then we'll spend the rest of the day talking about why we why critical race theory needs to be driven out of schools, and to and we'll praise these laws that are limiting what people can can talk about in the classroom, and that is just it's hypocritical. They don't care, and yeah. uh, just it's something that the audience has to see through, and other people in media have to see through because these are not good faith, you know, um, discussions about free speech and open debate and all that. No, these are these are just tools to get to their end, the end goals, you know, to to try to make the country more, you know, culturally conservative, which. It's not bad politics, and that's what I keep kind of reminding myself. It's it's not bad politics. It's terrible news. It's uh, terrible information. It's terrible media, but it's not bad politics. And that's that's why I really just hope that more people who are watching news and who are reading news and who are who are working in the news uh, start mm-hmm. to see through this. And I think that that's kind of that has to happen. People have to see through some of the yeah. bad faith uh, attacks that are well, out there.
0: Yeah. At, at the very least, the journalists should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, the whole misgender, you know, false direction. I'm going to put this tweet up here to, So I was actually having a discussion with Jenna Ellis, who is uh, was Donald Trump's election lawyer. <laughs> um, and, and, so I I was having a discussion talking to her about uh, some, about some uh, uh, ridiculous thing how she was violating the Bible where it says to accept all uh, to accept all leaders um, and I don't I'm not going to bother with a screenshot on that but so but I use the word her to describe God uh, because you know presumably the the creator the non-material being who is not a physical, doesn't have a physical body, is beyond male and female. And in fact, if you look at most theologians, they do actually believe that. But she got badly triggered by that. And she said, for someone willing to intentionally misgender God, you have no care or belief in what you assert about him. And you're just trying to provoke people. And then rewind just a few years later or earlier, she said, to somebody else i was tracking you until you said you can't misgender because you operate in reality uh, have the courage to call a biological man a male that's operating in reality so yeah basically that's like even on something like that <laughs> something where they supposedly believe in um not not the concept of misgendering is just nonsense well if you call god a female well then you know we're gonna come after
1: you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that's there's there's not all there's no consistency in in these sorts of arguments. There's there's just not, and it happens all the time. I see people who are like, "Well, I I can't call trans people the pronouns that they want to be called," and and people always use these these re- really over the top examples. Like, I mean, I, like where they'll be like. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to call someone Z or, you know, or some other bespoke kind of uh, non-binary pronoun. And it's like, for the most part, that's, that's not really what anyone's asking for a few people, maybe, you know, a few people, but for the most part, you know, it's like trans women are like, you know, please use she, and trans men are like, please use he, and and that's it. It's it's not asking people to learn like this long list of other pronouns or anything like that, but these are the same people. Same people who go, I can't do that because it's uh, pronouns are somehow tied to bio- biology or something like that. But then they'll turn right around and be like, America, I'm going to refer to the country as she or the ship as, or a ship as she, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, well, you're more respectful for, uh, more respectful about uh, the non-living nations. Yeah, (laughs) a big plot of lands, you know, uh, pronouns than you are with, you know, human beings who exist in the world and just want to, just want to get by, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, um, yeah, no, it's true. And the, the hypocrisy actually... I think is part of is actually deliberate uh, in the sense that they don't see truth as so um, uh, when, you, when you, when you read conservative especially religious conservative rhetoric, they always are talking about moral relativism and how they're very concerned about that. Uh, and that's because they believe they have no concept of the idea that opinions about morals are opinions. Uh-huh. They think that their opinions are facts, uh-huh. and they so that so, and so they're they're so concerned about forcing what they think are moral facts that they don't care about any other facts, you know, actual facts. I mean, that's why they literally have all these all you know terms, alternative facts, or uh, truth is not truth, as, as Rudy Giuliani said. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and, and over, and, uh, or it, but even go back to not, not just the Trump years, you know, you had uh, in the Bush administration, George W. Bush, you know, there was this thought that uh, we, we create our reality and we create the new reality. You are just in the reality-based community. Uh, remember that, that phrase? Right. Um, and so, like, that's, that's the point is that they, they, they strongly think that what they believe as opinions are truth they don't they don't understand any alternative
1: view yeah and and I, th- I think that there's this this sense that if you if you catch people in in hypocrisy that that haha i win that that happened a lot during the trump administration when oh there's always a tweet yes there was always a tweet because he's a man who didn't stand for anything you know he would he would bemoan you know people uh boycotting Something, but then at the same time, as he was running for president in 2015, he had something like 30 or 40, tw- 30 or 40 tweets uh, talking about why people need to boycott Macy's because they stopped carrying one of his shirts or something like that. And it was just, it, it's hypocrisy. But you can't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference to the people who you would hope would go. I guess I am being hypocritical because
0: they don't think rationally. They don't think in terms of reason. They think in terms of truth is truth. Isn't something that you can prove. It's something you can force other people to accept. Uh, That's what they do. So, I mean, so we've talked about a lot of the problems here. Do you think that our corporate media overlords and uh, the, Political mainstream media reporters have learned anything. What's your what's your take?
1: On it? <laughs> I, I feel I to think some
0: degree that since they are banning people uh, yeah. and keeping them yeah. off, like some there is some learning going on. But I don't know. Sure. You tell me. I I it's it's
1: I think it's less. You know, are people learning? And I think it's more. Are they choose? What are they choosing to do with what they've learned? You know, are are they choosing to to have people on that just go on TV to lie? Are they choosing to cover things with more scrutiny? Or do they feel the need to uh, to try to reach out to Republicans? We need to be you know, balanced in terms of 50% of stories will be positive and 50% will be negative. And that, that was something that, that got brought up a lot during the Trump administration. Oh, 90% are negative stories or uh, what, what have you. And of course, 90% would be negative stories because he, he didn't do a lot legislatively. He, uh, he put a bunch of judges on there, but, but generally speaking, that's not something that gets reported on in the media, in, in media, you know, we hear about how many judges, but unless you're really glued, you know, really tuned into politics, you, you don't know the names of judges. I mean, I do, but that my brain is broken. (laughs) Um, I think that there's there is always just this tendency to go with, you know, chase the shiny object. And I think that there's always going to be this, this fundamental conflict between information and entertainment. And I worry that if Trump run, runs again in 2024, that it's just going to be treated just the way he was... You know, treated in 2016 and 2020, just going to give him the same amount of credibility. We're we're going to pretend that he does he doesn't have a lifelong history of telling lies. We're going to pretend that he hasn't tried to didn't try to overturn the election, um, because I, I they clearly know better. We saw this happen. We saw it happen after Trump uh, after Trump lost the election, you saw this, this sort of shift in tone in, on news where it was, uh, suddenly media outlets were more willing to call something a lie. Uh, CNN, the, the morning before Trump gave, uh, the morning be, be, before Trump gave us, gave his speech at, um, on January 6th, CNN had a, um, that said, soon Trump to speak to supporters in desperate coup attempt. I mean, that's 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 crazy. It's like yes, you finally you're you're saying it. You're saying what is going on. But had Trump been able to successfully overturn the election, had had his efforts to um, get Georgia or Arizona or Pennsylvania to to flip their votes, they would. Find a way to just sort of normalize it because there's this normalcy bias in media. There's this we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to we don't want to make news. We want to just just observe it. And the the truth is whatever the consensus tends to be. And you kind of saw that play out in like 2000 with with Bush v Gore. There was this you know it was this mess of an election. But then you suddenly have Where it's like, okay, well, I guess Bush Bush won and that is that and and he is the president and we're not gonna talk about it again for a little bit. You know, and and that was sort of the the thing. It was, well, we can't we can't stay focused on that, we gotta move forward. And that is always what keeps happening in media. It's we gotta move forward and we gotta not apply the things that we just learned. When we move forward, we're just going to do everything the same way. So yeah. if Trump runs again, you're going to see people, you know, if not Rick Santorum, you're going to see other people like Rick Santorum popping up on CNN to tell lies. You're going to see people like Kaylee McEnany, you know, all over TV. And it's just going to be there in the name of balance. We're going to, we're going to treat everything as though there are two completely equal sides. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm I'm not super optimistic. Is, is I guess my point.
0: Yeah. Well, now what about on the social media company side?
1: Where I yeah, I think there I think it seems a, to have been some progress. I think. I think that part of part of that had to do with the fact that um, you know a lot a lot of sort of the crackdowns happened after after Trump lost. You you saw. You know, Facebook and Twitter taking tougher stances and stuff like that when, once he lost because they didn't have to worry about Republicans wielding their power against them basically as much. So while I think that it's it's good to see that that sort of shift to where it's OK, we'll start holding people accountable for the things that they say and do online and. Um, I think that it could just as easily shift right back if if Democrats lose during the midterms and you start having uh, House Republicans call, you know, holding hearings where they're trying to drag Mark Zuckerberg in and Jack Dorsey in to to testify for some sort of bias and bias in social media, you know, hearing. You're going to kind of see that succeed in the sense that they'll just go, okay well, we won't we, we won't rock the boat either. We'll just kind of back off and we'll try to try to stay hands off. And uh, I think in the short term, things are better. In the long term, I'm very worried. Yeah,
0: well, um, it's, yeah. I mean, it's tough to say. I, I, I guess, you know, going to the Democrats, um, you know, they, Joe Biden seems to have learned a lot more than the media have about yeah. how to respond, because effectively, conservative right you know, politics has basically devolved into trolling. Like yeah. they don't have ideas; all they do is attack other people's ideas, and you know, they have no problem getting in bed with you know very awful racist people, and you know, like Tucker Carlson. I mean, Yeah. He gets his talking points from white nationalists. And so, but on the other hand, you know, Biden, Biden, what, what do you think Biden has is doing differently compared to to Obama? I
1: think, I think that there's this Obama went into the presidency with this, this idea that people want to work together. People want to make things better and then we can all kind of come together and we can take the ideas from all these sides and, what he what he found out was that, yeah, Republicans would come together and they would give all their ideas and then they would vote no on the thing that they just helped build that that they helped make, and they would block things and they would keep his prevent him from getting getting judges across and that and stuff like that and I think that Biden has shown much more of a drive to get things done faster he's still does this I'm going to reach out I'm going to do do this outreach I'm going to try to have Republicans in to you know discuss infrastructure and all of that but I think that it's that he realizes hopefully that 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 what happened during the Obama administration was that they were sabotaged from the start and that's why it's heartening to to see him kind of you know, endorsed the idea of using reconciliation to get things through, which that was something that I remember during the Obama years, there was, you know, to, oh, to, to try to get something through during reconciliation, which that was how they they uh, applied one of the fixes for um, the Affordable Care Act. Um, oh, that is, that is the, um, that is the nuclear option. That was something that kept getting brought up, which that's not what Last the nuclear option yeah, it refers yeah. to, it was, it was, oh, well, you know, if you're, you're, you're bypassing us, but I mean, that, that's, it's very, very clear that that was not a good faith argument. That was, that was just something that they were saying because it was a political tool. And I think that there's some understanding within the Biden administration that they're, you know, that they, they're, they're not going to get a fair, you know, fair shake from Republicans on this. They'll try. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, I I just don't I don't think I, I don't think Democrats typically understand media or messaging or communications. <laughs> you know, like right right now they 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 should be making a big deal about the the child tax credit that that's going out three hundred dollars a kid or some something along those lines per month. It's that's a big deal, but. Where's their, you know, where's their messaging on that? I don't know. You know, when, when Republicans got that tax cut through in 2017, they were taking credit for everything. A company gave employees bonuses. That's the tax bill. You know, um, oh, eh, you know, hiring one up. That's the tax bill. They they were just applying every bit of good news to this this thing that they did. But Democrats haven't really done that with the uh, with the bill that got passed earlier this year, the the rescue bill, um, and I and I think that that's that's going to be kind of their downfall is that they they are playing by these rules that they don't understand. They don't understand the messaging. They are playing to. a different
0: game. Yeah, they, yeah, they're playing a game. totally
1: different game. Uh, yeah,
0: well, I, I I do think the other. Thing though, that they have learned is that so Biden he deliberately doesn't hold press conferences as much, and that's by design because he realized that more because you know Republican politics doesn't have a, a core that they want to present to the public, like they do have ideas. They just don't want to tell you about them (laughs) uh, as the public and because everyone hates them, including their own voters. Um, And so, you know, people don't want to go and cut Social Security. They don't want to cut Medicare. They don't want to eliminate the Department of Education. They don't want any of these things that conservatives have been, you know, clamoring for for decades. Um, So they basically have decided, well, we're not going to talk about policy at all. Uh, And instead, we're going to talk about, you know, Obama's hand suit but guess what? Joe Biden doesn't wear a pantsuit <laughs> and he doesn't go out and put himself in front of the media uh, and, you know, just making stray off the cuff remarks. Yeah. He's very, very disciplined about that. And it's it has been very enraging to the right media, actually.
1: Uh, yeah. Standard. And and, and, there, and sorry to interrupt, but the, like, oh, that is your um it has it has been very enraging to them. and you see it play out in these weird little culture war kind of things that that right wing media then have to focus on. They're on day like three of uh, being angry about uh, Jill Biden showing up on Sesame Street. And, and it's like, oh, oh, okay, I guess, I guess that's a story. Or when Fox would have the little countdown to, you know, oh, here's how many days it's been since Kamala Harris said she was going to, said she was going to take over uh, immigration or deal with the border. Go to the border. Yeah. Why is not she gone to the border? Then she goes to the border and they go, why didn't you go sooner? Or <laughs> you just went because we told you to go. It's, it's, the, it's the same exact game that played out when, um, when why won't Obama or, or Hillary say uh, radical Islamic terrorism? That was the thing as though there were, there was some magical property to those words. It was an incantation. Yeah. Exactly. They said
0: it, it would magically go away.
1: <laughs> they, they would get very, very angry when, when Obama would call, would say ISIL instead of ISIS, which, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, they take what they're given and they work with it and, the Biden administration has not given them a lot to work with. And that is uh, that is causing them to just kind of throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. And I think that what what we're seeing right now is that, you know, you kind of have, um, they're just tr- trying to invent these sort of controversies. Oh, oh, oh Biden's immigration policies are terrible. Biden's, uh, Biden's sending people door to door to to give you shots. Like that's another thing that's kind of, kind of now it's like, that's not what he said. He's not, he's not forcing anyone to get shots. It's, it's an outreach program, um, which is good. You should have an outreach program for, for something like this. Make it easy for people if they want, but it's uh, they're, they're working with what they, what they got. And, and it's not too much. Like when, when I've never, I've never heard um, a solution offered when it comes to things like immigration policy other than just uh we need to close up the border okay and i mean (laughs) but biden has is repeatedly said don't come stay out go away basically and that that's made some people on the left angry but it hasn't eased the people on the right haven't Change their tone, it doesn't matter what he does. It's always going to be the same. Democrats are bad on crime. They're bad on uh, immigration. They're bad on everything. They're, they're trying to take your guns and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to take your guns and they're trying to make your religion illegal stuff. Like all of these sort of things that are just kind of f- fantasy positions, basically. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of times I talk to people who were, on, on the left who are, who are just like, man, I wish that Biden was half as, you know, half as progressive as, you know, places like Newsmax make him out to be. I, I wish that he was this raging socialist, but he's not, he's, he's kind of just your, you know, replacement level Democrat, you know, which is, which, you know, the, for a lot of people, that's, that's what they wanted. They didn't want the, you know, soap opera that was the Trump administration and they don't, they didn't want, yeah you know, uh, Really oh, gigantic, overreaching—you know, overarching policies. You know, they just wanted—they wanted someone who was in there who would steady the ship after coming out of, but, yeah. you know, into to
0: normalcy. Yeah, that uh, was use that phrase. Yeah. That cool. So we're getting uh, close to the end here. Tell us um, about your site that you're you're doing nowadays, and uh, maybe something you're working on now from a writing
1: standpoint. Sure. Sure. So, um, last month, um, yeah, last month. Wow. I'm time is all over the place for me. So last month I launched, um, a newsletter called the present age, which is named after the, um, the Kierkegaard, uh, pamphlet. So
0: uh, we got yeah. the URL on the screen. So for the audio listeners, it's read the Yes.
1: Someone Sorry, someone already let me sure you another... got the
0: full plug there.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you. Someone someone already took com, So I will I will maybe one day try to buy it back from them. Uh, but we'll see. Um so so I've 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 got this uh, got this newsletter where I'm trying to trying to just look at communication, look at discussion, look at Um, politics and media and culture and all of these sort of things as they work together and i've i've been interviewing a lot of interesting people uh for it and writing some some pieces that some would have fit at media matters some would have not fit at media matters and i'm still still kind of figuring out what i'm what i'm doing with it but so far i've gotten some good good feedback on it and if uh if anyone watching this wants to wants to go sign up. Uh, there, there's a free free option if you just want to get some emails from me, and uh, you know, let me know what you think I could be doing differently, or what you would like to hear from me or see from me. Um, right now, I'm I'm working on something about the anti-vax push in right wing media, so that's that's probably going to be my next next piece that goes out there, which is. Uh, Going to kind of explore that a little bit. So, check it out. Okay,
0: cool. And uh, on you're on Twitter at Parker Malloy M O L L O Y. You you are a very regular tweeter, so people will find you have lots
1: to say in that regard. Uh, too much to say. Too much to say.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for joining me today, Parker, and thank you, audience, for tuning in. And uh, for those of you listening um, or uh, watching subsequently to the live event, uh, let us know um, what you think. And um, we're uh, we're coming back, bringing the show back um, from audio only and uh, as a live format. So uh, hopefully, you guys like it. Um, Thanks for having.